This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm one half your host today, Justin Williams. And you know, I'm never alone because as I've mentioned, I have abandonment issues along with many more issues. Ladies and gentlemen, my partner in crime today, you know him. He's the man behind the mic, the magic. He got the magic touch. He makes everything sound and look so good. He makes all the promos for our Instagram, and he's also kind of a tech guy. Ladies and gentlemen, Colbert Durand. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. I'm doing great. And you've got to be excited because today we're talking about a sport that you actually know more about than I do. For once in my life, yes, exactly. I am super excited for this. I think I heard Amy laughing in the background, so I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) This is also featuring Amy. Uh, How you doing? But anyways... Yes, because I'm a practitioner of this sport, just like our uh, a guest on here, although I have not reached the same level of competitiveness as she has, but her and I come from the same long, long, long lineage of cloth dividing martial arts in itself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Canada's very own Melissa Braddock. Melissa, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm, anytime, anytime. So as, as we got you on here, I was very excited because I studied martial arts. I studied Goju Karate. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, empty handway. And I see you study Kumite. Yes. Have you always stuck with Kumite or have you bled into different uh, forms of karate? So I actually began, um, like I think most athletes, we start with both kata and Kumite, so the forms and the sparring. Yep. Um, and I did both for a long time. As a junior, I, I think I competed up until age 18 in both. And then once I hit 18, I had to kind of figure out which one I wanted to pursue. And I liked the sparring more, so I stuck with that. There you go. I mean, sparring is definitely always my favorite. I always, like personally for me, I always placed uh, decently well in both inner tournaments and international. But how did you personally get started for it? Because I have a weird story how I got started. So I just want to know how you got started. Yeah. Um, so I began at the age of four. Um, my father was my coach. He yep. practiced karate back in former Yugoslavia from the ages of 15 till till now. He's still going. Um, Damn. And yeah, so he kind of put my older sisters, um, Ada and Ajay Braddock, they were both national team members, world medalists. So I kind of followed along in their footsteps uh, and pursued the sport along with my younger sister. So it's sort of a full family thing. My mom does karate. She's also an instructor. So um, all six of us, <laughs> we're all black belts. That's all I can say. <laughs> ah, you guys are showdown. Say what it is, man. Don't shy away from yeah. that. <laughs> if they don't know, they can Google. They're smart people. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. It was just kind of there and there was no other option really. <laughs> there you go. See, my, mine is a lot less interesting. I was like, I was babysat by a Portuguese lady 
And then she was like, you know what? This kid has too much energy. He needs some discipline. So she stuck me in martial arts. And then my mom took over the payment. It was a really weird situation. But point is, nice. she, yeah, she loaned me out. Where do you, uh, where do you train exactly? Um, I'm currently training at Golmax Karate. It's my parents' facility um, here in Mississauga. Um, I used to train or still train here and there, just not as close to the dojo. So um, since you can martial arts, they're, um, they're also in Ontario. Um, and I trained there for about two two to three years um and okay. i had to move back to my parents because i ended up moving in um just for convenience purposes i really there you go i mean i was gonna say the same thing i um i trained in, in mississauga too that's where i'm from nice so i trained at uh, ama the academy of martial arts and uh oh. <laughs> i know we've fun. definitely yeah we, we've definitely seen each other around in terms of at least dojos and in various tournaments and intercontinent inter for sure oh a hundred percent but that was kind of our, our claim to fame too. Cause we also like, I don't know, we have like a place in Cuba. So I never, I could never afford it cause I was poor, but like oh, <laughs> uh, a bunch of like colleagues, my colleagues, whatever, they'd fly out and they'd train over there and they nice. got to mix with like Spanish versions of martial arts. It was a really interesting time for them. But uh, anyways, yeah. Yeah. I heard you refer to your last name as Braddock. I see it and automatically I assume Bradich. And then you tell yes. me you're a former <laughs> Yugoslavian, which kind of reinforces the Bradich. But is it actually Braddock? Uh, no, it, it's technically Bradich. But uh, um, just for, I guess, like just for the clarity, I say Braddock. And I think it's easier for everybody to go by as well. Um, but anybody who is, uh, I guess, from the former Yugoslavia area, they do refer to me as Bradich. So, so whereabouts actually? I've been to Yugoslavia a number of times. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm close to. It's an area very close to Croatia and in Bosnia. It's very close to Bihać. I'm not sure if you've heard of that city. Yes, I know it. Uh, yeah, so really close to there. My family's from there. Okay, and did they? Are they? Are you first generation Canadian with them? Did they come over or? Yeah, within the year of them being here, I was born. So. <laughs> Okay, so did I assume then that so your father brought the skill over? Yes, so he started. Um, he actually was very into soccer. I think that's a, any any young boy kind of gets into that sport. Yeah, and I, I believe the story is karate was brought to their town or, or city that they were, he was living in, and he just kind of fell in love with it and just continued with it. And unfortunately, because of uh, he just didn't have the, the money or the time to kind of pursue it as a sport, he just did it as a hobby on the side and competed locally in here and there, but never got to pursue it to the level which I believe he wished. And so he kind of put his daughters in the sport and in hopes of hopefully um, getting to a level where he never got to be, I guess. Okay. You have no brothers? No. four, uh, Three sisters, so four daughters. Was he hoping for a son? <laughs> that, I think <laughs> I think I think that's the story we kind of go with where like he they were trying and just never happened so he settled after the fourth one he kind of <laughs> they they tapped out after that <laughs> are all of you active in competitive karate or no actively no I think I'm I'm the only one now my older sisters there is a big age gap so they were the generation before me they're 13 and 10 years um, apart oh, so wow. Yeah, so I watched them compete as I grew up, and I watched them train. So one of my other, my, my oldest sister, sorry, the one who's not the oldest, but just just the the second oldest, she ended up taking me on as one of her athletes along with her uh, husband, and that's where I trained at Shinjuku up uh, up in Newmarket, and they took me in at the age of eighteen, and 
pretty much worked with me from my beginning of my senior career for three years. And I still go to them for feedback here and there, but they really changed me, remodeled me, redid my techniques and kind of made me who I am today and uh, gave me a really good platform to work off of. So it is a family business and I guess with them being so close and, and knowing who I am and, and raising me in a way that they were able to kind of take me to the next level, which was amazing. Oh, that's excellent. One of the sports that has been around forever in the Olympics has now been dropped and that's weightlifting. <coughs> weightlifting oh, wow. will not I did be not in the know next that. Yeah. So when, when sports like weightlifting, which was sort of a, I mean, a staple at the <laughs> Olympics is being dropped to make room for new sports coming in because of time consideration is that it's, it's very difficult now to, to find your sport as a permanent thing. Although I thought it got enough of a, I got a fair amount of attention actually at the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah. Um, I like, like what you said with the weightlifting, I know wrestling was pulled out. Um, I think it was 2010 or, or around that area, like that, that year. Um, and there was a huge controversy because of how, you know, it's a staple in the Olympics has been there since, the Olympics began. Um, so that's a shame to hear that weightlifting was pulled out. I'm not sure where the Olympics are going, which, which direction they're headed. I think that they're looking for more, I would say, entertaining sports. And I think everybody sort of, or like every sport is trying to kind of remodel and, and make sure that they can keep an audience um, engaged. And I guess with karate, for somebody who doesn't really understand the sport or know the sport, it is difficult to watch all the time because there is a lot of bouncing and that's just because the athletes are trying to figure out what to do in that moment and they're trying to you know test their their opponent and see what they can do and it can come off as boring so that's kind of how how i see it and what i speculate whether that is the case i'm not sure it can be seen as frantic at times for just the <laughs> lay person watching i think the most difficult thing about watching point karate is understanding what constitutes a point Yes. Right? There's a lot of starting and stopping without any points happening. Yep. That can confuse the average person. So can you explain to our audience how it is you receive sure. a point in karate? So to, to clarify with the stopping and and, uh, and restarting of the match, sometimes the referee is awarding, not awarding, uh, giving penalties. Um, so that can come off as just nothing going on. And they also have to stop the match when it comes to a clinch. If the clinch goes on for too long and the athletes aren't separating when they're, they're told to separate, they have to stop the match and give the penalties. And, um, if a person steps out, they'll step, they'll stop the match, stuff like that. So there are a lot of rules. I don't blame the, the, the common audience watching. It can be confusing, but just a quick breakdown for, for the points. You can only be awarded three points, two points, or one point. One point's given for either a face punch or a body punch. And with that being said, it's not a full contact sport, so you won't have a point given for a knockout or a light, just a, any any form of contact. There has to be some form applied to it. So with the full extension of the arm, full awareness of the of the technique, so you're not turning your head or closing your eyes, anything like that. That obviously can't be really visible to the common referee, but when it does go down to video replay, these are the criteria that come into place. Two pointers are given for any sort of body kick. So it can be like a spinning back kick uh, to the abdomen area, to the back, anything that kind of forms around there. And again, same thing applies, full extension, proper technique. Um, the list goes on and then same goes for the head kicks. So those are the three-pointers. And you can also be awarded a three-pointer with the takedown followed by an immediate punch. 
<laughs> a lot of rules go into play, and I think that's something that's going to slowly change. There has been an announcement with new rules, so that's been exciting. No more flags. I don't know if you guys seen the flags at the Olympics. Those will be taken away, so that's going to be really nice um, for the athletes. That'll be exciting. Okay, and then if someone does get hurt during one of these events, you're against an opponent. Um, for instance, someone drops an axe kick on on the shoulder and the collarbone breaks. Mm-hmm. That person can no longer continue. Do you then move on in the tournament? So in, in sports karate, it's, it's tricky when it comes to these injuries. So if the injury is done, say, um, in that instance, it's, I, I'm even having a hard time explaining it because it can go either way. It's almost up to the referee in a sense where they make that final call, whether it was the fault of the athlete who gave the injury or the one on the receiving end who just, they got injured and they are unable to continue. In most cases, it's it's the opponent who got injured and no longer can continue. You'll see like ACLs torn and during matches or ribs broken and yeah. unfortunately can't continue. So the other opponent does uh, advance. But in the case where the, I guess the attack was, I'm using the air quotes here, malicious or was done out of intent to purposely injure the opponent, then the other person will be disqualified or penalized for that. Okay, so if you, air quotes, accidentally injure your opponent, there's a good chance you're going to move on. Yeah, that's usually not the intent of the athlete, I, I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> but when, when people go into the matches, that's more or less not what they're trying to do. That's not, their, that's not their goal. I think most athletes are respectful of each other and are just there to outperform their, their opponent, really. It comes down to a game of chess. It's really who's going to make the mistake and who's going to capitalize on the mistake and who's going to make the proper move at the right time. See, Justin, I told you you were wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am only wrong when my mom tells me I'm wrong. <laughs> so I'm going to go back in time a little bit here. 2015, do you remember what happened in Toronto during 2015? Yep, the, the Pan Am Games. The Pan Am Games. And do you remember where... Uh, I guess I shouldn't say karate was held, but a lot of the more physical combat sports were held. Yeah, in the I think now it's the Paramount Center, but back then it was the Hershey Center. There you go. Now, what if I told you one of the hosts was that you're talking to right now got was part of the Games News Service crew, so got to interview a bunch of the athletes who were fighting. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool actually. <laughs> That's awesome. They stuck me on the people who were unsuccessful in moving on, so I didn't have any happy people. I always had had to be like, sorry, when you took that head kick, did you realize then that you weren't moving on? (laughs) It was a good time. Did you you attend any of those games? Um, I was actually too young at the time. I was 15. So I was lucky enough to get free tickets and was there every day of the event watching karate and just kind of living the moment in in their shoes, I guess. Yeah, I feared you might have been a bit too young, but I wasn't too sure about your siblings. No, they they had unfortunately stopped at that point. I think they, their last tournaments were, I want to say 2010, 2011, around then. Oh, wow. Yeah, they stopped fairly young just because life happens and it's a, you can't really continue the sport without the proper support. So unfortunately, they had to make a decision to continue and, and find a way to make a living instead of punching, kicking people. Mm. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, like I find most athletes in Canada kind of suffer from that. If you're not more yeah. like a hockey player or a basketball player, you're kind of overlooked yes. essentially. Even running only recently became, or sprinting I should say, kind of became recognized as like a, a livable wage, right? With endorsements and stuff. Yeah. But like I remember sitting there 
and watching these athletes go and spar and fight. And I'm like, wow, the only way these people can actually make a living out of this, aside from opening a dojo and training people, mm-hmm. would probably- and That's exactly what most of them do. <laughs> oh my God, everybody, right? <laughs> like my sensei did the same thing. Yeah. But even there, it's, it's like, if they don't do that, they usually transition to MMA at some point, like Ken Shamrock yep. did and, and a few other things. Yeah, but I think even karate combat's making a, a big um, statement now in the karate world. Mm-hmm. I know it's not too popular in North America, but I think it is growing. Mm-hmm. I've heard of karate combat. I've never actually watched a lot of. It. I've seen like snippets online just because Instagram's yeah. like, "Hey, you like UFC? You might like this." Yeah. <laughs> so, thank you, Instagram, for expanding my horizons. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever thought of transitioning to MMA if you were to take this outside of like opening a dojo kind of deal? Yeah, I've been asked that uh, a lot actually. I don't see myself, and I, I love watching it. I think it's it's an amazing. Um, martial art mix and it, you know you have athletes from every aspect and they use their their certain techniques and their certain you know specialties to beat whatever is in front of them but I just don't think my body can handle it I have so many injuries at the moment that I don't think my body would be able to take the full contact kicks to the lower to the lower half like they do and that's a main reason I I really don't think I could pursue it but other than that, I love watching. I love what they do. I like to explore different martial arts and um, definitely would like to learn how to grapple in the near future. But yeah, I don't see myself doing it as a as a profession. Which makes sense. I was never the same way. Like I was, I got into MMA very, very late. It was actually kind of like during the pandemic I started kind of paying a little more attention to it, mainly because it was the only sport on at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it was definitely something scary for me to to think about. You know, had I been younger and introduced to MMA, if I would transition, because I don't know about you, but getting punched in the face with padding on versus getting kneed in the ribs of intentionally, <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kind of changes. Those floating ribs tend to crack a little easier. So, yeah, yep, those guys are awesome. They're amazing. Oh my God, they're totally cool, and like so much respect to all of them. And there are a few obviously karate people who made the jump to MMA, and good for them, but not for me. Yeah, kind of deal. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. So aside from your from your parents, uh, did you have anyone that you looked up to or still look up to when it comes to training? Yeah, I, I really like, I really looked up to my sisters. They were a big influence in, in my like, decisions and, and how I pursued the sport and um, I still learn from them here and like to the day to this day every time I come out from a competition we do a little breakdown or if I'm at a tournament and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed or anxious or whatever the case is you know things aren't going well I, I you know the past tournament I did get sick while I was over there so I was kind of uh, freaking out a little bit I dropped a, a few kilos and barely made weight so my sister was there to kind of immediately contact me like what do I do now like what do I eat? What should I, yeah. what should I look for? And she's right away on top of things. It doesn't matter what t- the time difference is. If I text her, I know she's going to reply. So, um, I really do appreciate her for that. And someone definitely who I look up to in the sport and out of the sport. But aside from family, I, I would say as a kid, I, I used to look up to Rafael Agaev. He, I think is, he's, uh, the minus 75 kilo fighter for, for karate. And he was just a huge inspiration to any kid growing up in the sport. I think he's, everybody's idol at some point <laughs> so oh, definitely him yeah i mean that or bruce lee or jackie chan kind of like those like mainstream media yeah. people. <laughs> like i remember back when i was a kid i'd watch this it was so stupid you ever watch the movie three ninjas no yeah okay this is okay <laughs> don't 
<laughs> okay, first off, negative Nancy Kobe over there. Um, it's great if you like putting Hulk Hogan in awkward situations. And yeah, so I don't know what – I think it's only Three Ninjas 3 I have. I've never seen the other ones, but it's kind of what it sounds like. It's like three brothers – somehow some way become expert martial artists from i can't remember what reason very early 90s cliche whatever but i remember watching them fight the era of martial arts movies oh my gosh yes exactly right (laughs) where every kick sent somebody flying didn't matter yeah yeah, it just didn't matter where it was through any object like that was a steel beam yep my kick is stronger it's all right (laughs) but if you get a chance just watch it and Oh, if you if you want to watch it, but I think I think it's a fun little kind of for me. It inspired me to be like I can definitely have that form. But I knew at a young age I'm not kicking people through barriers. So like that's just kind of unrealistic. That's, <laughs> that's hopefully not. Well, I mean that and like a lot of Bruce Lee too, right? Or yeah, Bruce Lee and because uh, all of his like Enter the Dragon. I was like, ooh, this is fun to watch. So I think I liked the Kill Bill. She was pretty awesome in that movie. She yeah, oh my God, Kill Bill was a staple for that too. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I have to go rewatch Kill Bill 1 and 2. Good times. Anyways, Kobe? Yeah, getting back to the more serious side of the interview, Justin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How important is it to receive the face grant from Petro-Canada in order to continue your training? Oh, that was uh, that was an amazing help. I mean, I was I was 17 at the time, just turned 18. It was the first time I really felt like a, a real athlete, you know, that was recognized on such a high platform. And it was amazing to see that the country – was giving back to these young athletes and giving them the hope of, you know, going to the Olympics. It was a great boost, I, both psychologically and obviously financially. Um, and it just, it, it really motivated me to to keep working and keep working towards that goal that seemed so distant at the time. You know, I was so young and the karate was just made into the Olympics. And uh, I was told to not really aim for it. I was told that, you know, it's it's there's a good chance it won't happen and with covid and everything that that did go on during the time i had to take the step back and really train on my own with my boyfriend and a partner um training partner teammate he's kind of uh, the four in one package him and i worked together and he ended up qualifying and i just came short finishing fourth out of the top three that did qualify so it was devastating to not make it but yeah I'll leave it at that. Is the face really did kind of motivate me? I, it was something that I really took to heart and really boosted me in the right direction. Kind of gave you opportunities to compete in other countries, correct? Yes, which was it's mandatory. It's Canada, unfortunately, doesn't have all the events here in North in North America. Not even just Canada. Um, everything is overseas, so it was amazing to just being able to go and, and compete and, and see where you're you're at, see what level you're at. So, where have you competed that you enjoyed it the most? I think we've been to a few countries. I love Europe. I, I I think all the competitions there are great for in terms of in terms of the level of competition. You have all the Europeans, and they're right now dominating the sport. But I always say my favorite country was Bolivia. I don't know why I went there as a junior. I was fifteen, and it was just I had a great time. Probably my favorite tournament so far. Wow, you you never hear anything positive about Bolivia. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I don't know if it was just my memory and I was just a kid at the time, but it was such a great time. I had a great tournament. Um, teammates were awesome. The, the place was great. I had a good time. I, that's all I can say. And what's your weight division? I'm the minus 68 uh, female division, so uh, just under heavyweight. 
and how much uh like how how much play is there as far as your weight goes with that um i'm lucky enough to not have to cut weight i do come off as one of the shorter girls in the division so my reach is my i guess disadvantage okay but at the same time it is my advantage i like to i like to be a bit smaller in the division i'm a bit lighter so i can move quicker than most of the girls and that's kind of the card i play when it comes to that weight class i also decided at a younger age when i was a bit heavier i don't know how i ended up getting lighter over the years but that's kind of what happened and i'm stuck in the division now so <laughs> gotta use it to my advantage <laughs> oh, okay okay that's cool yeah, so when you're fighting an opponent, especially someone who you kind of are familiar with, is there any background work you do before? Is it like that day of, or is it just kind of going with like a, like how, how do you approach that? Yeah, the way I would answer that question is that most fighters, um, especially in the karate world, they do fall into certain categories of how they fight. So you'll have your very broad like offense fighters, defense fighters, you know, counter fighters, and then it goes from there, it'll kind of branch down to more specifics. So we kind of train fighting those types of scenarios with those type of fighters. And you'll end up on the day of knowing which girl falls into which category and you just know how to kind of execute. So I wouldn't say I fight first. I, I train for a specific opponent, but I do train for specific uh, scenarios. And most of those females do fall in those categories. So it does become fairly simple on the day oh, okay. of. So whenever I used to fight in tournaments, because uh, I would never, like I said, I would never fly abroad, but if there's somewhere localized in Toronto, GTA area, I would obviously attend. And it was always, I never knew who I was fighting first, obviously, but I'd always pay attention to the rounds and be like, oh, I have this guy next, if I, especially if I advanced. Yep. I'll be like, okay, so from what I saw, this guy, his first move, he likes to step to the left. Okay, well, I'm going to join him there and hit him with like a quick punch and then from there go on. And then mm -hmm. I'm going to like analyze and sit there with my mother who was like really creepishly good at that. That's like she awesome. would sit there, yeah, and be like, look at the way he like ducks down. He's going to go for like this move right now. He's going to hit with a three combination. And she was right, I'd say 90% of the time. So, but that's just, that's just my mother and not everyone has access to her. So, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. And then furthermore, going on, when you're in the heat of a moment, when everything is tied, what goes through your mind when like points are, are literally the same? You've been at it for a couple minutes now and you're exhausted. What goes on? What goes on? I would say just reminding myself to just stay focused because at, at those times, that's where mistakes happen. And any experienced fighter will take advantage of those mistakes. It's just second nature to them. Um, you make one faulty move, that's what they train and they're going to, they won't even know what they're doing. Their body knows what they're doing and you don't want to give them that. So I would just say like staying focused and keep moving. Don't go flat. When you go flat in the ring, that's when the things go south and you end up losing a match. And I've been there and done that too many times. So that's, that's ingrained to just keep moving, not to go flat. That's what I tell myself. Yo, exactly. I, it's, it's kind of what I was thinking too for the most, well, I mean, I'm also hoping my opponent breaks a tibia and I can move on, but <laughs> you know, keep focus is kind of where I like to go with it too. <laughs> now this, I, I do have a story to tell. So in my, in my dojo, when I was going for my black belt. Hold on, Justin, hold on, Justin, before you tell your story and, and embellish like you do. Thank you. I just wanted to ask a quick question. How would you characterize your fighting style? Hmm. I like to be versatile. I like to be able to do everything. I'm, I, I, I guess like I do fall into the counter slash offense fighters. Love that. Okay. But 
I don't like to be bound to just one style of fighting. I know most fighters do specialize early and they kind of have like the same go-to technique with the hands, same go-to technique with the legs. I like to try and be able to do everything at any moment and that's what I strive for. So still working on it, but I think if you're versatile, you can handle a situation instead of kind of being that cookie cutter like offense fighter and it's you know what to do against them. Whereas if you can do everything, it's hard for them to pull every card against you at once. Okay, and then... Is there a detailed sort of database of statistics on the different <laughs> karate fighters or no? No, that's just something like I, I, I work with with my uh, – with I guess my coaches and teammates here. <laughs> no, no. I mean like there, like there isn't actually a practical database where the statistics oh, are kept. No, no, no. Nothing like that. I think every coach has their own approach but more or less everybody does kind of approach in the same way where you have – um, your your offense, defense, and counter fighters. You have and you have the fighters that way. It's like oh, sorry, that will just kind of run away from you. They they just like the circle. Okay, that's like okay. another kind of. I'm not sure what you would call them, but everybody kind of approaches it from the same way. How they um, deal with them is different. So that's up to the coaches and athletes to figure out what works best for them. But it ends up being more or less the same way throughout um, the country. So it's always funny to see. Okay, yeah, no, it's just my. I have more of a background in MMA, and I mean, I know mm-hmm. that there's independent. Uh, databases like SureDog or Topology, whatever, and they actually keep nice. detailed statistics on pretty much every fighter. I was just wondering if that existed for karate so that you kind of oh, knew. Oh, I'm unaware. Oh, it'd be an interesting thing to see, actually, if they did yeah. have it. Okay, Justin, you can go and tell your lies now. What? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I was going for my showdown, what happened was they try to get everyone at the same time in terms of like our like studio versus like the Branton studio versus the Oakville studio. They basically get all of them together and it's kind of one huge like three day weekend of essentially only the like black belt wannabes going through the tournament. Okay. And then you have mm-hmm. to do um, katas, you have to do uh, weapon training, which I want to ask you later on. And they also have to do Kumite. So in the Kumite tournament, it ended up coming down to the final two fighters, which was myself and another guy from the same dojo. So my sensei was happy that we had kind of made the the cut essentially, but then they decided last second to throw away the three minute time limit and just kind of oh, be wow. like, yeah, a person win by two points kind of deal. And I just was basically curious to see if that was something that's practiced in other dojos or my sensei was just being mean because that one, <laughs> that was a 15 minute fight between two yeah. people. <laughs> no, I never experienced anything like that. I, I don't know how that would end. I think I lost somebody totally. would just end up just sw- swinging. <laughs> It's, yeah, that's what it was. Like I'm sitting there, and this guy's like a history of bad knees, and I'm like, God, Cameron, oh, no. break something. But he didn't. He ended up coming out on top. So I was like, good on you. And then that was it. But anyways, uh, do you train with weapons too? No, I, I've never done weapons. Um, I, my dojo's really? always been very sport based. Yeah, very sport based. Um, yeah, we never, we never went into that area. But I did compete once by accident in a weapons division without weapons. <laughs> so, so that was fun. My my father took us down to Cincinnati for the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, there's like a whole martial arts event usually. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's like weightlifting. Everything went on there. Yeah. So we went there, and he ended up registering us on the wrong day, and we had to leave the next day. So we ended up just competing with them, and we did well. My sister and I actually came out on top. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, we just did our regular katas. <laughs> oh. Jeez. Yeah, it was fun. So. <laughs> These hands are weapons. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. A very interesting tournament. I mean, they they do some crazy stuff with those weapons. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they take it to another level. Yeah. That's what I like about weapons. It 
they're fun to kind of throw around. Also, it's really fun to hit somebody with it intentionally, not accidentally. <laughs> but accidentally is also kind of fun too. Getting off the the weapon talk because obviously it's not something you did, <laughs> but you obviously received your black belt from your father, correct? Yes. Was it a difficult black belt to achieve, or or <laughs> what's it going was on actually, there? What? Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah, my father's old school. He doesn't give any no freebies. I was going to say, that is four dollars. He's not going to be easy on anyone. Yeah, yeah. He's I think listening I to this conversation right now. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that that was those were fun. So, how long did you train before you got your black belt? Um, I trained for about ten years. Wow, I guess yeah, inclusively. Yeah. I I started at a very young age, and they didn't want to give me the black belt at age ten. I guess so. They waited till I was fourteen. Damn. How long did it take you, Justin? 14 years. It took you 14 wow. years? Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Number one, I wasn't doing... Okay, let, let me verify that. Hold on, hold on. So number one, it was a part-time thing for me. I'd go like once, twice a week. It was never like I was living there, nor was my father uh, teaching me. Right? I'm sure she was being graded as she was folding laundry at some point. <laughs> Right. And number two, I used to take the summers off before I became serious. So, ha, 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 ha. That's my, <laughs> that's my shitty defense. Okay, okay. What I was going to say is like that's that's a proper amount of time. You know, I think a lot of people get their black belts very um, soon and, and and pretty like quick after starting the martial art. I think it's Thank like a you. new trend. Thank you, yeah, Melissa. that happened. No, it's <laughs> it's true. It's, you get the McDojos, right? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> but it's, exactly. It's, I grew up in that era. I grew up in that era, right? I'm I'm older than the two of you, so I you know I grew up when you had all of the hype from the 80s and 90s movies, and there was a karate dojo on every corner, mm. and quite literally, it was pay for belts. Yep. Yep. Right. It was year one. You get to such and such position. Year two. Year three. Here's your black belt. That's basically what it was. And as long as you're willing to pay the exorbitant prices at the time, yeah. you get a pretty quick belt. <laughs> yeah. Our our the only, okay. So our sensei always had a thing with us. We had to pass a certain amount of like katas, a certain amount of assisting time, a certain amount of whatever. The only exception I have ever seen him make for that was when one of our students flew out to an international tournament and placed third. He went from his green belt to whatever the next one was at the time. I think it's purple, but he only had his green belt for a month. But mm-hmm. he had, yeah, I've shown, seen that as well. Yeah, yeah, because he proved himself in competition. Oh my god, he probably should have gone for his brown. He took out two black belts on his way up, and I was like, nice. damn. <laughs> <laughs> like he was like a legend. Hmm? Yeah, it's a good thing you never competed because you would have never gotten your black belt. Oh god, no. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> <been. laughs> well, no, we're we're teasing. We're teasing. Justin's more than capable. No, thank you, Kobe. But I do have a question for you, Melissa. Now, just because your sport, you might not have, but did you ever study um, Japanese jiu-jitsu? No, I, I never have. You know, I did some grappling here and there at my uh, at my sister dojo. They like to incorporate in their program. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the most I've ever done any kind of groundwork. And it was only here and there. I was always training uh, with the other group, but I would kind of just pop in and just try to do as much as I could before my training actually started. But... Definitely something I would kind of consider in the future. It's 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 pretty cool. It's uh, something I'm not used to. I, I get claustrophobic, so getting put in a position like that, I think, would kind of help me break that, not phobia, but fear I have. So something I would consider for sure. 
there, there's nothing quicker than breaking a claustrophobia than getting a rear naked choke. It's there you go. <laughs> exactly. Science proof. Uh, okay. So before we wrap this up, I've had a great time speaking with you. I'm pretty sure Kobe's had a great time making fun of me and talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. I had a good time as well. Awesome. So last two things or a few things. Number one, I'm, I'm assuming because you're a Mississaugian, have you had a poutine before? Of course, it's my favorite. Making sure. We always, we have a poutine questionnaire I always ask them. And what is your favorite poutine? I like the classic, like the go-to gravy, um, cheese curds, and fries. All right. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And also in Mississauga, where'd you go to high school? Just wondering. Um, I actually didn't go to high school in Mississauga. I was born and raised here, grew up here. I moved back here, but I went to high school in Etobicoke. Uh, there was a sports school. They offered a high-performance program. Um, what? It's called Silver Collegiate. Uh, Institute, yeah. So it's not too far out of Mississauga. It's just kind of on the border of Etobicoke and Mississauga. Um, and they just, just the high school is really crucial, I think, for me. I, I got to like um, rearrange my schedule to make sense for my training, and I got a lot of what were they called spares um, in yeah. place of like gym class because I was already doing gym class, I guess, in my sport. I didn't have to take gym class for any kind of exams and stuff like that. They always helped me out, so was a really, really good help for me. That's awesome. Damn. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that existed. I wish I had that. Damn. All yeah, right, cool. They had, uh, I think, a few of them. I know for a fact in Etobicoke there's one, and I think there's some other ones in, scattered around Toronto. Well, I am amazed and shocked. And, oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> last but not least, well, actually, second last, where can our fans find you on social media? Currently, I'm just on Instagram. If you just type in my name, at Melissa Braddock. You can find me there. I've been kind of dormant, I guess, on social media. Um, I'm currently a student and athlete, so I had to take some time to focus on myself and just kind of push through with school. But I'll be back up on social media posting regularly um, starting just, uh, next week. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. 